0: Well, welcome this weekend. We're glad you're here. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, from an off-site campus or maybe on the internet or you're listening to a podcast working out. Uh, we hope that we help you work out better. We're good for your health. Uh, glad, that, <laughs> glad that you're along. Now, it's my privilege this weekend uh, to introduce to you one of the friends of our house. Have you know it's good to have friends in the house? And... Uh, <clears throat> I asked Stephen Furtick, who pastors a great church, Elevation Church in Charlotte. If you're ever in Charlotte, you need to you know, drop by and visit. Pastors a great church in Charlotte, uh, great family man, two little boys recently had a little girl uh, born into their home, and he's just a good friend of mine. And I asked him to come uh, to Seacoast. I want to do this every once in a while because I want you guys to experience Kind of the ministry that God has uh, through him. And so he recently spoke at our staff for our all staff meeting. I introduced him as the mad dog from Monk's Corner because he's originally from there. I think it may stick. It may be something that puts his ministry over the top. And so what, <laughs> what I want you to do at Seacoast, I want you to give a great big Seacoast welcome for the mad dog from Monk's Corner. Stephen Furtick, give it up! That's awesome. Uh, Thank you.
1: Thank you. What an honor to be at Seacoast. I welcome all of the campuses. And uh, I know you have a lot of guest speakers and they're always coming in and telling you how wonderful Seacoast is. And to some of you who are a little more skeptical, that probably feels like guest speaker rhetoric. It's it just kind of sucking up to the crowd and, and saying what a guest speaker is supposed to say. Um, number one, I don't have to suck up to you. I got my own church, so I, I'm i good. So what I'm about to say is sincere. It's from the heart. I got a hot wife, three kids. I don't need any gigs. So this is from the heart. Um, your church had a big impact on me and our church, and your church is having an impact on church leaders and Men and women of God all over the world influencing us, clearing a path for us. I'll tell you what I mean by that. I wanted to put it in the form of an analogy. I thought it might make more sense. When I was eight years old, my parents bought me a guitar. And I started taking guitar lessons and learning to play just some simple songs, just to learn the basic chords, G, C, and D. Uh, I learned um, uh, country roads take me home, um, down in the valley. Just some old school songs. I had an old school songbook and an acoustic guitar. And so, you know, in, in my eight-year-old mind, you know, there was, there was a lot of hesitancy to play guitar because it was hard work and my fingers hurt pressing down the strings and the guitar was like three times the size of me. And then one day, I went over to this guy's house named Harold Staley. And Harold was about 16 years old and he had a Fender Stratocaster and a Fender Twin guitar amp tube amp and i was eight years old and he plugged up his his fender stratocaster into his fender twin amp and he hit the distortion pedal and he turned it up and he handed me the guitar and he was like here try that because see he'd been having a hard time getting me to practice and he'd been had a hard time getting me to play uh regularly and so he taught me a power chord, and he taught me how i'm going to go ahead and and say something that that, that might not be real holy, but this is where I came from. He, he taught me how to play a song by Poison from the tape. Uh, Talk Dirty to Me, that was the song. I shouldn't have played that. I shouldn't say that in church. But there was a cassette single. Um, I'm not going to explain to the 15-year-olds what a cassette is. We'll you can ask your parents. But it was the first time that I had ever felt the power of an electric guitar. I'd played guitar before, but I'd never played guitar like this. I'd never played... guitar with distortion i'd never played guitar that sounded that powerful and i was hooked and i would say to you that the first time i ever came to seacoast church just as a teenager it was like the first time that i ever grabbed an electric guitar it's like i'd been to church had good values but i had no idea that god could be so exciting so accessible so powerful. I never knew the gospel it could be so life changing that the church could be so enthusiastic. Basically, I'm saying to you that you're like poison. To me, you're like my hero. So give it up for a great church. And Pastor Greg is one of those guys. Like, I admired him from a distance. And lately, he's been like an uncle to me in the ministry. And he's put his arm around me and he, and he helps me. And, uh, He's one of those guys. The closer you get up to him, the more you're impressed. Um, some guys you see him from a distance and they look good. I would, I would, I would liken that to people's different profile pics on Facebook and Twitter. <laughs> Have you ever noticed we all look better when you can't really see us up close, but then when you click on our picture, it's like, whoa, make it small again, because <laughs> you look better from far away. And Pastor Greg, one thing I appreciate about him so much is that uh, he is more Christ-like, uh, more of a great man of faith, and more of a great example for a young buck like me in the ministry, the mad dog of Monk's Corner that I am. The closer you get, the more you like it. So let's give it up for your pastors and for the leadership of this church. Today, I want to share a teaching with you that really impacted our church. It uh, it, had a, it had a residual effect. I taught it, and It motivated people, but then a year or two after I taught it, I still kept getting emails from people in our church and all over the world that said, that helped me. That was a turning point in my life, and I've never taught it anywhere else but my church in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I wanted to bring it to you today, and not to reheat it, but to relive this incredible passage of Scripture. I'm going to explain to you a dynamic about all of our relationships with God um, called The dip. The Dip. Seth Godin is a business author and he wrote a book a few years ago called The Dip. And he wrote the book about an entirely different principle than the way I'm going to use it to talk to you today. But I'm going to draw for you The Dip. I'm not an artist. In fact, it's kind of um, showing, shows you how much I love you that I would be willing to, to, to write on a board in front of you. But I want you to have a visual for what I want to communicate in this message. And I have a marker that they gave me that is big enough to beat you to death with, incidentally. <laughs> it's the size of a handheld microphone, so this should go well. But just a real simple drawing, and then I'm going to read you a passage of Scripture in 1 Kings 17, 1 through 10. If you want to find that in your Bible, and we'll put the Scriptures on the screen for you as well. But I want to talk to you for a few moments today about the dip. And the dip goes something like this, just if I could draw it for you. The dip goes like this. The dip. The um, dip. For all of you who are over 40, over 40, over 40, raise your hand, over 40 years old, yeah, you've experienced the dip. In fact, all of you have experienced the dip, and maybe you've never called it the dip, but if you walk with God for any length of time, if you attempt to do anything for Him, if you, if you attempt to raise a family that uh, follows the ways of the Lord, or if you attempt to get involved in ministry at your church, or if you attempt to even just be a human being and consume oxygen on planet Earth, you will face the dip. And today we're going to study about a Bible character who knew something about the rise and fall and the ebb and flow of what it means to walk with God and experience the dip in his life. His name is Elijah. I actually love this Bible character so much that I named my first son Elijah. Uh, Elijah was a prophet, a great man of God. He appears in 1 Kings 17, verse 1, like a stab of lightning in the eastern sky. We've never heard of him before, and here he comes out of nowhere with a word of power, with a word of confrontation. He is about to confront a wicked king and call for a drought in the land of Israel that would last for three and a half years. And we're going to read a little bit about what happened before Elijah became known as the great prophet of God who called down fire on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings chapter 18. This is how his story begins. 1 Kings chapter 17 verse 1 says this. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord had told him. Uh, please note that phrase, underline it, or at least just take a mental snapshot because we're going to come back to that in a moment. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Careth ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. We're going to read verse 7 and we'll stop there. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Lord, I know you've given me a message today that is going to communicate on multiple levels to every person that is participating in this experience. And what I want to pray now, Lord, is that you would guide my words and prepare our hearts. Because I want to speak with an accuracy that can only come from you. I want to speak about the dip. And I want to speak about the faithfulness of a God who is able to lift us out of any pit, out of any despair, beyond any discouragement. Use me now as your instrument, Lord. I give myself to you in Jesus' name. And all 796,000 Seacoast campuses said, Amen. Don't you love going to a church where you're omnipresent? (laughs) Amen. The dip. The dip. When you start out walking with God, usually there's a spiritual high that accompanies your newfound relationship with Him. I was 16 when I finally gave my life to the Lord. You know, I got beyond all the cultural Christianity, pseudo-spirituality. I say I love Jesus, but I'm no different than all my other high school friends stuff. And I made a real commitment to Christ. Some of you need to do that today, by the way. And I'm specifically speaking to some teenagers who are trying to ride to heaven on the wake of your parents' faith. You need to really give your life to Christ. And when you do that, usually there's a surge, a burst, uh, 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 an outset of great momentum and joy and courage. And every time you read the Bible, it's like God sent you a text message with a smiley face. Every time you you pray, God gives you a parking space right in front of the restaurant. Everything's going well. The Lord's speaking. The Lord's moving. His glory is shining around you. And your kids are behaving. I, I, I wouldn't just say this about when you give your life to Christ. I would say, that when you start something new in your relationship with the Lord, we see this in our church at the beginning of every year. We launch new small groups and people sign up for small groups with all this hope. And they've been in 17 small groups before, but this one's going to be the one. Or maybe they hadn't been in church in 17 years, but they're finally going to step out and try something new. And usually for a period of time, there is a a great surge, a great burst, an outset of momentum and excitement and enthusiasm that accompanies the new venture. You see this all the time in the gym in January. And then you can have your treadmill back by February 15th. Because when anybody tries something new or when you jump into something with a fresh perspective for the first time, uh, a recommitment, there's excitement. I started a church five years ago with seven families. And we didn't know anybody in Charlotte. We just had a calling to turn the world upside down for the glory of God and do more with our lives than just try to get by. And when we began our ministry and people first started coming and God started blessing, there was a great surge of momentum. It was exciting. It was enthralling. There was a buzz of electricity in the atmosphere every time we met together. But if you'll walk with God long enough, if you'll launch out in faith deep enough, if you'll just live and 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 walk through the stresses and strains of everyday life, eventually you'll hit the dip. How many of you have ever hit the dip before? We read about Elijah and how he appears before this wicked king, this king who was a, a murderer, and his wife Jezebel was more wicked than him to the tenth power, and she was actually a prophet-killing queen. Um, and Elijah has a message for this king. He says, there's not going to be any rain in the land for a space of three and a half years until I say so. And so Elijah has this power, this connection with God to turn the heavens on and off like a shower head. That's bad when you can tell somebody when it's going to rain, when you can when you can flip a switch and determine whether or not the land is going to have rain. But. Elijah didn't have to suffer because of the drought. Many people no doubt died during this time. Many people no doubt suffered through the famine. And it was all part of God's plan to get their attention because they had turned their hearts from him. But Elijah has a special deal worked out with God. He has a a special secret hideaway. Where he has some birds, we read this. I want to make sure you saw it because the Bible's so interesting. I hate when people say the Bible's boring. I don't think the Bible's boring. I think you're boring and you need to read it. The Bible is awesome. <laughs> the Bible is so interesting. Listen to this what God told his man Elijah. Go to the Carath Ravine, and in verse 6, he says, The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. You got a Chick fil A spicy biscuit every morning and five guys at 6 p.m on the spot the birds show up and hook him up and he's going strong there's a drought in the land and times in your life will be like this there may be a drought around you but there's there's a spring inside of you and elijah no doubt isn't living luxuriously he's by a brook but at least he's not thirsty at least he's not country, uh, hungry he's out in the country but at least he's he's got what he needs he's never hard, far from what he's hungry for things are going pretty well but then the bible says in verse 7 this verse caught my attention that sometime later the brook dried up the brook dried up i believe today if i could have a personal conversation with many of you in this room you would talk to me about brooks that have dried up in your life i believe that many of you in this house today have had a situation in your finances where the only way you could describe what you're going through currently in the area of your resources is my brook dried up. Things were flowing, things were going, and my brook dried up. Some of you are in a relational place with your spouse where the brook has dried up, the love has dried up. Some of you are single and lonely, and emotionally, you feel like your heart is a dried up brook. You're struggling to trust God in this season of singleness. Some of you got a report from the doctor, the brook dried up some of you have uh, an emotional depression that you really can't even explain or tie to a specific circumstance but your brook dried up you hit the dip how can i say that not knowing most of you in this church how can i say this by video to many of you on a campus who i'll never see physically it's not because i'm some kind of prophet it's because you're people (laughs) and this is what happens to people who walk with God, if it happened to God's greatest prophet in this era, don't you think it's going to happen to stay-at-home moms and construction workers and bankers? Don't you think it's going to happen to pastors and teachers? Don't you think it's going to happen to each and every one of us teenagers and senior adults? Don't you think the brook's going to dry up? There's theologians that have lived throughout the centuries who have used different terms to describe this This time in your life and your walk with God when the brook dries up, the the season when you're uncertain and you can't seem to get God to speak to you. And apparently God reached his texting limit because he doesn't speak to you that clearly when you open his word anymore and you're still praying, but you're not feeling it and you're trying. Uh, Henry Blackaby called this a crisis of belief. I'm calling it the dip. I'm calling it that period when you don't feel it? Have you ever had to go to work when you didn't feel it? Have you ever had to stay in a a relationship and love somebody when you didn't feel it? You hit the dip. Now I'm going to give you two directions for those of you who are in a dip. All the perfect people who never struggle with anything, you can polish your harp while I'm talking to the real people who actually (laughs) live on, on this planet. If you've ever been through the dip, if you'll listen to me today, and I know some of you are thinking, what does this young buck have to tell me about going through a dip? What does he know? Listen, you may have a point there if I were preaching to you from my personal experience, but I'm preaching to you based on God's word. And God's principles are true no matter what age I am or no matter what I've been through or you've been through. I come to you on behalf of Jesus today. And if you'll receive this word from the Lord, he has something to say to you in your dip. So here's the first direction I want to give you for your dip. The first thing you got to do if you find yourself in a dip and all dips aren't huge dips. All dips are different in their dimensions. Some dips are more like divots and some dips are so deep that you feel like you're never going to get out. But if you find yourself in a dip today, the first thing I want to challenge you to do is discern your dip. Discern your dip. All dips are not created equal. All, all dips are not the response Of the person that put them in the predicament. There are some dips that we cause by our own disobedience. I'm going to just call this plainly the dip. Watch this creativity. Of disobedience. And the reason I call it that is because this dip happens when you are disobedient to God. Uh, You can think through the Bible, can't you, if you've studied the Bible any at all, ever went to Bible school or anything like that, of different people who went through dips that were caused by their own disobedience. The first person I thought about was Jonah. Jonah ran away from God, got swallowed up in a fish, finally surrendered and did God's will with a bad attitude, preached a really uh, pretty pitiful sermon, but God used it anyway. And even after the people responded to his altar call, he was depressed, sitting under a tree wanting to die. Jonah went through a dip of disobedience because God told him to go one direction and he went another. Have any of you ever been through a dip that you caused for yourself? You just flat out didn't do what God wanted you to do or didn't do it the way he wanted you to do it. You blatantly disobeyed a principle in God's word and you found yourself in a dip. David found himself in a dip in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. He was walking around on the rooftop at the time when the kings go off to war. He was cocky and he was not not where he should have been and he saw something he shouldn't have seen. And so he found a woman that was not his wife and slept with her, got her pregnant, killed her husband on the front line of battle to cover it up, went through tumultuous time because of a dip of disobedience. When you find yourself in a dip of disobedience, and I could go on and on about dips of disobedience, you want to talk about Moses 40 years on the run because he was a murderer? I mean, who you want to talk about? I could talk all day about dips of disobedience. You could get up here and share some of your own personal examples. (laughs) And I could share mine too. But when you're in a dip of disobedience, the only way out is to repent. If you're in a dip of disobedience, the only way out is to obey what you know God has called you to do. And until you do, you can pray, you can think, you can strategize, you can excuse, you can get friends around you to rationalize your dip. You can get friends around you to justify your dip. You can get friends around you to admire your dip and tell you why your dip really isn't that bad or it isn't as bad as somebody else's dip. You can compare your dip to another person's dip, but the only way out of the dip of disobedience is to repent. Are you in a dip of disobedience today? Any teenagers in a dip? of disobedience because you're going where you shouldn't have gone seeing what you shouldn't have seen doing what you shouldn't have done any married men in a dip of disobedience in the area of lust in your life today if you're in a dip of disobedience repent and you will find that god is kind and merciful and gracious and compassionate and he will lift you from the pit of your sin somebody ought to clap your hands that's good news that god will lift you from your dip The second kind of dip I want to talk about is the, the dip of ignorance. I'm going to call this for short, just so it starts with the letter B, D, the dum-dum dip. <laughs> Official title would be the dip of ignorance, but I'm going a, I'm to a, I'm a call it the dum-dum dip. Have any of you ever been in a, a dip that you created for yourself? Not because you were evil, but just because you were stupid. Any of you got a piece of plastic in your pocket that put you in a dum-dum dip? Any of you ever sat through a timeshare presentation that landed you in a dum-dum dip? I don't mean to get all up in your business, but are any of you sitting next to your dum-dum dip today? No, I'm just playing. Don't, don't say amen to that. We, we've, all, we've all been in the dum-dum dip, Right? It isn't that you were trying to disobey God. You just didn't know. If you would have known, you wouldn't have done it. Man, as a pastor, I can't tell you how many times I did something with good intentions that was outright stupid. And good intentions do not necessarily equate to God's blessing. There's wisdom that we have to have. So you've been there before. You know what I'm talking about. I'm not going to talk about that one anymore because I don't want to. I, I, frankly, I don't, I don't want to really get too personal about myself. Uh, there have been many dumb, dumb dips that I've experienced in my life. Here's the dip I want to talk to you about for the remainder of our time together today. And I think it's the dip that Elijah experienced and maybe the dip that many of you are going through as well. you're going through a dip of disobedience, you repent. You're going through a dip of ignorance, a dumb, dumb dip. You need wisdom. You need to ask God for direction to surround yourself by godly people in a small group or in some setting. But here's a kind of dip that I haven't heard as many sermons on. I call it the divine dip. The divine dip. The divine dip is when you're like Elijah and you're doing what God told you to do the best you know. And you've obeyed him the best you know how in your situation. And yet you're still discouraged. You're exactly where God wants you to be, as far as you know, but you're not seeing the results that you believe you were created to see. Have any of you ever been in a divine dip? The kind of dip where you do exactly what the Lord tells you. That's what it says about Elijah in verse five. And then in verse seven, the brook dries up. Now, if this were anybody else in the Bible, I'd be asking myself the question, why did the brook dry up? Did the brook dry up? Because uh, maybe they were maybe they were maybe they were relaxing too much. Maybe. No, Elijah wasn't the kind of guy who was prone to sit around inactivity. In uh, Elijah was the kind of guy who didn't mind confronting evil. Elijah was the kind of guy who would obey the Lord in faith. And so here's Elijah, exactly where he's supposed to be. I mean, God gave him turn-by-turn turn GPS directions for where to go, and yet he finds himself at a dried-up brook. I mean, so many people who are doing the best that they know to do in their circumstance, in their situation, in their parenting. And yet, in the middle of their obedience, they suffer discouragement and disillusionment and despair. Because I've heard a lot of sermons about the, the consequences of disobedience. But have you ever heard a sermon about the consequences of your obedience? See... The Bible tells us why the brook dried up in verse 7. A lot of times we don't know why bad things happen. We don't know why our brooks dry up. But here we know why the brook dried up. The Bible says sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. (laughs) You're laughing, but let's, let's trace this back. Why was there no rain in the land? Because Elijah prophesied that there would be a drought. Why did Elijah prophesy that there would be a drought? Because God told him to prophesy that there would be a drought. And so now you've done what you believe God called you to do. And here you are saying, God, you called me to this brook and there's no water in this land. But you're the one who told me to turn the sprinklers off. Now, God, I need you to do something because I don't know where else to go. God, I'm in this marriage and I'm staying faithful. But this is hard and it's dry And God, I'm trying here to stay pure and stay faithful. And God, I'm trying to give faithfully with my finances. And God, I'm trying to serve, but nobody's noticing. And I don't feel like it matters. Have you ever been in a divine dip? I did what the Lord told me to do. I went where I think He wants me to go, but my brook has dried up. You know, I found three things that seem to help me when I'm in a divine dip. I'm going to give them to you, and I ask you to prayerfully consider how the Lord might be leading you in your life. And by the way, if you're not going through a dip right now, I heard a preacher say one time about storms. He said, you're either, you're either in a storm, you're coming out of a storm, or you're going into a storm, bless God. I want to say that about the dip, man. You're either in a dip, you just came out of a dip, or you're about to go into a dip. So you better take some good notes. If you don't need this right now, you will in two weeks. What do you do when you're in a divine dip? Look, I'm not one of these preachers who comes out here and tries to tell you why all the things that are happening to you are happening to you. I know some of you have lost children. I know some of you have lost husbands and wives. I know some of you have sickness in your body that is inexplainable, and you're a good person and you live for the Lord. I can't solve that for you in 40 minutes and I'm not going to try to. But what I would like to share with you today is just a few closing thoughts of encouragement for when you find yourself in a divine dip. And this is a good Baptist sermon because they all start with the letter R. Number one is this. Receive God's activity. Receive. I before you accept after see. Okay. Receive God's activity. Receive it. Let's read what Elijah does in verse 8. Brook dries up. No rain in the land. It's God's fault. Verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him. I love how that phrase is is the only phrase that you, you can really hang on to sometimes when you're going through a divine dip. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Don't you think there were times in starting a church at age 25 with no funding, limited connections, and even less experience that I found myself in a dip of doubt? God, did you really call me to do this? And all I had to hang on to was a promise from God. I want to say to some of you today, just receive the word of the Lord in your life today. The word of the Lord is coming to you. See, God brought you here to this worship experience today. He brought you right there to your campus. He, he had you stop on this online. He had you type in that, that, that web address in your browser. God brought you to this moment so that his word could come to you. But just because his word comes to you doesn't mean it changes you. For that to happen, my friend, you're going to have to open your heart and receive what the Lord wants to say. Say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. God, my heart is open. I'm ready to hear from you. Receive God's activity. And you know, when we talk about receiving, a lot of times it's a passive term. I don't mean receive in a passive way. I'm thinking like a wide receiver. There's nothing passive about this kind of reception. I'm talking about you run your route, you get open, You do what you got to do and you say, here I am, God, hit me because I'm ready now. I'm ready to receive your word. The word of the Lord came to Elijah and he listened. Okay, receive God's activity. Uh, Number two, remember. God's past faithfulness. Remember God's past faithfulness. You find yourself in a divine dip. You can't see God's hand working on your behalf today. Remember how he led you through your yesterday. In verse 9, God gives Elijah an instruction. says this, Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I've commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. Now, if you're a student, you're paying attention. In verse 9, God tells Elijah to go to the next place where... He has provision waiting for him. That must have triggered in Elijah's mind the same thing that God said to him in verse 3. Leave here, turn eastward, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. See, in verse 4, I told birds to feed you. Now in verse 9, I got a widow who's waiting to supply you. But there's one common denominator in every area of your life that I'll ever lead you into, Elijah, and that is that I will provide for you. If I did it with birds, I can do it with the widow. If I did it back there, I can do it right now. If I walked with you through that valley, I'll bring you through this valley. If I was with you in that time of despair, I will bring you through this time of despair. I am with you. I will never forsake you. You got to you got to learn how to have a dressed rehearsal. To remember the promises of God in your life. I talk out loud to myself. I do. I'm crazy. I ain't trying to impress somebody. I'm trying to, I'm trying to fight the devil. And I'm trying to stay sane in my head. So sometimes I just have to talk out loud to myself. We'll be needing to raise uh, $11 million for a building. All right. We had $1,100 in the checking account five years ago. And so when I'm looking at $11 million, I just remember that it's it's nothing but a couple more zeros. (laughs) God, you did it with 1,100. God, you're with me then. Let's talk about David for a minute. Remember how when he wanted to fight Goliath, how he he had to get his courage up because nobody believed he could do it. He's standing in front of this giant. He's never seen a battle of this magnitude, but that's okay. He said, the same God who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from this uncircumcised Philistine. I dare you to say this out loud at all of the campuses, out loud. You ready? God's got this one, got this one. Just, like one. just like the last one. I dare you to clap your hands like you believe that today. He's got you. You've got to remember. The prophet Jeremiah said, this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. It is because of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. God, I might be in a dip right now. My brook might be dry. But if you'll just speak to me, Lord, I will remember your past performance. Because God's past performance is the best predictor of his future ability as he fights on your behalf. Remember God's faithfulness. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Remember God's past faithfulness. And number three. Respond to God's new direction. Respond. God said, go at once to Zarephath of Sidon, stay there. I've commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. Verse 10, so he went to Zarephath. So he went. And because he went to Zarephath, when he got there, he met a widow who was making her last meal. Her and her son were about to die. And do you know that God used Elijah in Zarephath to save that woman's life? Not only did God have a plan to sustain Elijah in Zarephath, he had a plan for Elijah to minister to someone else. Yes. So maybe God put you in this dip. Not because of what you're going to get out of it, but because of what he's put inside of you that someone else needs on the other side. I know that's easy to say. I mean, I'm just I'm just teaching you the stuff that I try to live by, okay? i got sick family members i got i got troubles i got bills i got uncertainty i have days where i feel like i'm unqualified i have insecurities i have sins i have temptations and when i find myself in those i i just try to realize that god didn't bring me here to leave me he did not bring me this far to leave me and so elijah goes to zarephath and he you got to read this sometime. You got to study in your Bible, First Kings seventeen and eighteen this week. How he, how, how he prayed. And this woman's, this woman's pantry was full, and and all of a sudden now there's a, there's a widow woman and her son that lived because Elijah showed up, and and then how after he went to Zarephath. Oh, by the way. This was just a stopover because the next place that God would take Elijah is to that mountain called Carmel that I told you about where Elijah would slaughter 850 false prophets of Baal and Asherah and and literally turn the whole nation back to God. See, what if God brought you to the brook and let it dry up so he can get you to Zarephath so that he can get you to Carmel? What if the deeper the valley is in your life, the higher the mountain God is taking you to must be on the other side? You've got to remember, my friend, every valley is between two mountains. And we get in our dip And the enemy wants to distort the dimensions of our dip. And and the devil has lied to some of you and said, you're never going to get out of this one. Your kids are never going to come back to God. It's never going to materialize in your life. You're serving, you're giving. God's not not blessing you. God's forgotten about you. This stuff isn't true. This stuff isn't real. This stuff is a fairy tale. But, But I like the way that David said it in Psalm 23. You know this psalm, most famous psalm of all time. Even if you didn't know you knew it, you know it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? Because the valley isn't deep, because the valley isn't painful, because the valley isn't dry, because the valley isn't hard. No, because thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I got some news for you about the dip. Here it is. Bad news. You will go through the dip. But here's some good news. Good news about your dip. You will go through the dip. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. And isn't that really the story of the scriptures from cover to cover when we think about it? Joseph went through a dip. He was beaten, sold into slavery, left half dead by his own brothers. And for 13 years, it seemed like God must have miscalculated when he gave Joseph a vision. But God was just bringing him through the dip. And you know, the deeper Joseph went, the higher God was able to raise him up. And eventually he was second in command in all of Egypt and he saved the entire nation. Oh, I just thought about this one too. Think about David. David went through a dip. David had to run from his life for a lunatic king who he was fighting for. David went through a dip. He's the greatest king that Israel has ever known because the deeper you go, the higher you rise. Some of you in the construction industry should know this. When they want to raise up a building really high, they dig down really deep. Jesus went through a dip. And the Bible says that it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross, despising its shame. And here's what I came to tell you on the authority of the word of God today. If you will keep your eyes on Christ in this dip, I can't promise you he's going to get you out by this time next week. I can't promise you the money is coming by Tuesday. I can't promise you your husband's going to act right by the time I say in Jesus name. Amen. But I can promise you this, though you walk through the dip, you will not die in this dip. God will raise you up and God will glorify himself. And God has not brought you here because he does not care about you. He is with you. And God, through every dip in our lives today, I speak hope and encouragement to the person who feels so alone and so lost. Somebody feels like giving up. And we thank you that Jesus did not quit in the dip. We thank you that he stretched his arms and died and even when they had torn the skin from his back and they hung him up and left him and even his own father had to turn his face away. We thank you, Lord, that your son did not quit in his dip. And so, God, by that same power that raised Jesus from the dead, I pray that you would raise our spirits to life today to believe that you are with us in the dip to receive your word to remember your faithfulness and to respond to your new direction in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.